Hey guys, my name is Alex, and you're listening to the Thousand Movie Project Podcast. Someone in my apartment building set their kitchen on fire this week, and they've been making a ruckus for the past few days, dragging charred furniture along the hall and then down the stairs because the elevator is only broken when it's needed. And as they're doing that, I keep thinking, like, fuck, that could happen to any of us at any time. And of course, as the neighbor of this person, at first you're concerned about what happened actually the fucking cat died of asphyxiation in that apartment. But there's also this kernel of resentment, like whatever they were doing, they were being negligent, but it could be that they just bought an appliance that malfunctioned and it caused a fire. Or, yeah, they had a moment of negligence, but that's human error. We all have moments of negligence. It could have happened to anyone. It's one of those things that just happens. A breakfast of mother's warm milk. I suppose that you're still hungry. And up goes her tongue. Only a few drops each time. The sun in Miami sets at 8 p.m. right now, and I like the sun to set earlier than that. Uh, I like the sun to set at like 6.15 p.m. so that I can go to a bar in the evening without feeling like a trench-coated pervert under the sun. I just feel like such a degenerate. So now, I'm walking to Batch at like 8 p.m. and it's still light out. And the other evening, while crossing the street outside of my apartment, heading to the bar, a black SUV screeched to a halt right in front of me and a teenager stood up out of the sunroof with a paintball gun, but the paintball gun was black and it looked real, and he tried to shoot me with it, but, like, I ducked behind the car and kind of hugged the back of the car, which was fucking stupid, because for a second I thought that it was a real gun, and that these people were trying to kill me, and if that were the case, then they could have just, like, fucking rolled into reverse and I would have been dead, but fortunately these kids were just trying to injure me, not murder me. And when they couldn't get their shot with the paintball gun, they drove off. Everything turned out okay. But I was pretty shook up for the next, like for the duration of my walk to the bar and like the duration of my couple beers, because I had just had a visceral eight or 10 second spell where I legitimately thought I was about to be shot to death, like right outside of my apartment on a fucking Monday. After all, it can happen to anyone. You listen to me, young lady. Until this morning, I thought marijuana was something to read about in the newspapers, not find in my own home. I'm a little bit high. I had this really shitty customer who was sitting at um, the far corner of the bar. He was hanging out for almost five hours. And in the course of those five hours, he had like four beers and an order of breadsticks and an order of another thing, like appetizers. And then finally, at like 10.15, he goes, hey, I, I want to order a pizza. And the restaurant closes at 9.30. He was one of three parties left. And the reason that all these parties were still here is because they all emboldened one another. 
This is something I've picked up about working in the restaurant really late on weeknights. If you are there and the restaurant is closed, you're gonna like furtive as you see them as you see the servers stacking chairs and shit, you're gonna start like furtively looking around to see like are people glaring at you or whatever. And what's likely is that you're gonna see that there are other people in the restaurant, maybe two or three other tables. And they don't care, they don't mind, they're not being rushed, they're comfortable. But what's happening is there's this symbiotic thing where every table is making the other table relax and not worry about the fact that they're keeping all these employees here. So this dude at the bar, he's like, hey, can I get a pizza? And I was like, no, no, the the kitchen is closed. And he was, and he looks around and he sees these other people, he goes, you guys aren't closed. And I was like, yeah, we close at 9.30. Yeah, like the kitchen is done, but like, but the restaurant is kind of staying open because there's some people left. And he goes, last time I was here at this hour, you guys weren't closed. But like, is it not obvious? <laughs> the reason the restaurant was open at this hour last time you were here is because you were here. <laughs> it's almost like that thing where kids think that, you know, everyone disappears as soon as they leave the room. That's actually the case at a restaurant. When you leave, I get to go home. But um, I may have mentioned in the past, um, I don't eat seafood at all. I don't like the texture. I don't like the taste. Sure don't like the smell. And I, I've also mentioned that like one of the great joys of working at a, at a pizza place is that sometimes at the end of, at the end of a shift when the you know, place is closed, we can go to the takeout corner like with these heated racks where, where orders sit and there's usually two or three pizzas that haven't been picked up so i approach these pizza boxes like you don't know what's in them what kind of crazy fucking pies people devise and today i opened one after closing and it was like a fucking crazy overstuffed thing. There were peppers and olives and onions, mushrooms, pepperoni, prosciutto. And it was all this fucking pell-mell pile, which is cool. I, I dig that kind of crazy nonsensical pizza. So I'm eating this pizza and it's really good, but really good for like a second. Cause suddenly I feel myself like encased in some odor. And uh, like I stopped chewing and I sort of, I hate to even acknowledge this because I'm sure it puts an image in your head. I brought my palm up to my mouth and I kind of like, <laughs> when you spill the food back into your hand because it's like not that chewed up and something is in there. So I look at this, at this semi-masticated mass in my palm and I see anchovies. I don't fuck with anchovies. It was, it, I, the smell was in my mustache. The smell was like on my breath as I would go. <laughs> it was like being chased by bees. It was on the, the other hand that I'd been using to hold the pizza. And what a fucking horrible smell. I felt like I performed oral sex on a fish who was also a dishonest fish. Cause there's sometimes, I feel like there are ways that you can be unpleasant and, and repugnant. Like you can only be so repugnant on the basis of your appearance. After a certain level of repugnance, it has to be generated by something in your character. <laughs> Here's a story about my colleague. 
Last Saturday, there was a thunderstorm outside the restaurant, so nobody, no, almost nobody at all came in for lunch, and my colleague and I were just standing there, staring at the rain. We had nothing to do. And then suddenly he goes, fuck, oh my god, I forgot to call my landlord. I just re remembered my bathroom ceiling has been leaking. And this was just shortly after that building in Surfside, Florida collapsed, just a few miles away from us, and killed 98 people. After a few days, Miami-Dade Fire Rescue switched from a search and rescue mission to just a search for remains. At the moment that he and I were having this conversation, that point had just passed, that transition in motive. And consequently, the thought of a leaky roof seemed to have these incredibly morbid implications. Down here in Miami, the Surfside collapse prompted a huge number of these spontaneous building ins inspections and a bunch of, particularly of apartment buildings along the water, and a bunch of them were sporting like fucking grievous violations. A few of them were evacuated, like also every Every fucking Miami-based meme page was it was streaming forensic analyses of all these cracks and fissures and crumbly corners on old buildings and and there was all this speculation as to which ones were were cause for worry and which ones weren't. I I was kind of shaken up by all this in the same way that everyone else was, and so I kind of pressed that point on my colleague about his leaky ceiling and I said no landlord at this moment wants to be accused of hosting like a deficient building. So if you've got a problem, I imagine he's gonna fucking jump on it, like for fear that you're gonna go to the local news or something. And so my colleague's like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get on him as soon as we leave. The next Saturday, we're standing together in the restaurant again. It's pouring rain, nobody's coming in. And he says, oh, remember that thing with my leaky ceiling in the bathroom? So it turns out he called his landlord the previous weekend, right after work, and the landlord came over to look at his ceiling. He climbed up on a stepladder, carved out that little sodden patch of drywall, and he looked around inside, reached his hand in, and felt around inside, but there but there was no leak. There, like, there was still the moisture on the ceiling, and there was that hole and everything. Like, it, it was a legitimate complaint. You could see evidence of water damage. There was just no evidence of rainwater seeping in or of a leaky pipe. It was a, a total mystery. So the landlord says, okay, let me, let me go upstairs and see, what, see what's going on with that neighbor. See if maybe they spilled anything. So he goes up the stairs, knocks on the door, and the first thing he hears is a baby crying, and then a woman answers the door. They trade pleasantries, he says hello, introduces himself, and he says, so, you know, I own this unit downstairs, and my tenant is experiencing a small leak. It doesn't seem like any big issue, but may I just have a look at that particular spot? And so she goes, yeah, absolutely, come inside. So the landlord goes into her apartment, and he, he takes these you know, measured strides across her living room to the part in the room where the leak is apparently happening. And when he gets to that spot of the room, there's nothing. No sink, no fridge, no toilet. So the guy stands over that spot, he looks down and he goes, fuck, it's so weird. It's coming from this spot right here, and yet you don't have any, any pipes or anything. And then he turns around, and when he turns around, he looks at the woman, and she is completely white. Turns out that the baby that he heard crying when he first walked into the apartment, that baby was new. And that spot where he was standing was the spot where she was sitting last Friday when her water broke. Earlier, I made that analogy of like fucking dishonest fish. But then I asked myself, like, what would a fish lie about? If I was like confronted with a, with a dishonest fish, like if, if, if you took me into a room and you're like, Alex, and you pointed at like a fish tank. This is um, Eric. 
and he is he he's always lying i don't think i would i would i would dislike him for being dishonest and it, basically it's because a fish's community a fish's life is not that complicated when i said when i thought like oh a fish's life is not that complicated there was this sort of policing voice in my head that was like oh yeah well they're they're constantly being attacked every fish is prey to some other fish so you don't think that's complicated life i don't know why i talked to myself that way but as a matter of fact no i don't think that that's a complicated life it's not good that you have to spend every waking moment of your life <laughs> sort of like actively fleeing in terror. But at the same time, you would have to agree, a fish's life is pretty simple. Because a fish's life boils down to one word. Run. <laughs> so a fire engulfs your apartment, kills your cat, throws your life into shambles. It could happen to anyone. You're leaving your apartment later than usual so that you don't look like Pee Wee Herman at the matinee showing up for a pint while the sun is still high in the sky. And then you get the scare of your life when a car pulls up and somebody juts out from the sunroof with a gun pointed at you. It could happen to anybody. When I came home and I looked at that gutted apartment in my building all licked up with flames and shit, after that, I sat in my own bedroom and I looked around at my things, at my, my fucking dirty bed and my dirty floor, and I appreciated them. And by appreciate, I mean, like, wow, I'm glad that all this shit is here. But also, I just, I just looked at it. And after that kid tried to shoot me with a paintball gun and I thought I was actually about to die, I was very aware of my body for the rest of that walk to the bar. And I, and I had these vivid thoughts of, like, some alternate universe, uh, the one in which my hallucination was true. And that kid shot me with a real gun and how... I could have just been bleeding on the pavement and losing consciousness at that exact moment. And by extension, I'm pretty sure that my colleague at the restaurant, when he realized the source of his leak, I'm sure he was, like, obviously he was grossed out a little bit because he had cleaned that mess up with his bare hands, but I'm sure he had a little endorphin rush to think that he had just been spared the burden of construction in his bathroom. Tragedy or inconvenience, whatever it is you've just avoided. These moments tend to open my eyes to the peace of my situation. And they remind me not only of my, of the fragility of that peace, but of, it, of its temporality. They remind me of the fact that sooner or later, there's going to be an accident. Maybe it's a fender bender, maybe it's a fall down the stairs, maybe, maybe I'm gonna burn the house down, but it's coming. It's coming for all of us. The only thing you can do is be cautious, you can live a smart and prudent life, try to stay healthy, exercise, all that jazz. But also, one little prophylactic measure you can take is you can you can make a concerted effort of wringing from your little fruit of life as much juice as you can. Which is not to say live life to the fullest. I hate that phrase. It always makes me think of Royal Caribbean. I, like I, when, when someone says live life to the fullest, I think of like jet skis and, and polo and drag racing. Also, it's just a fucking cliche and I can almost guarantee I see it on Instagram all the time and I can almost guarantee that anyone who gives you like a weighted kind of squinty-eyed look and a ring light smile and says you just have to live your life to the fullest I will bet you anything that person spends six hours a day on their phone this is absolutely the kind of thing where my friends are gonna say that I just have like a chip on my shoulder and I need to like tone it down but I don't think that that phrase actually means what first of all it doesn't mean anything 
live life to the full. What does that mean? It's like if I said to you, you know, hunger your thirst to the fullest, but I think it's used in like a cultish, exclusionary, invidious way. Because when people say, oh, go out and live live life to the fullest, it's their way of like trying, like sort of encouraging you without actually giving you anything to look forward to. Like if they can be very rah-rah and say, go out there and live life to the fullest, you're gonna leave the, whatever, the, the sanitarium and you're gonna go outside and you're gonna be like, yeah, time to live life for the fullest. And then you're not gonna know what to do with yourself. And what's gonna happen is you're gonna end up being like, oh man, I have so much trouble living my life to the fullest. I, I should go to another seminar where someone will explain to me how to live life to the fullest. But when you go to that seminar, all they're gonna tell you is that you you really sh you you need to gratitude that's what you need gratitude and that will help you live your life to the fullest if you find someone who 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 trades in that kind of influencer speak about live life to the fullest and you ask them what they mean by it they're going to say like oh no it has no empirical definition it just means that you need to go out there and do what's right for you what's going to make you happy like if someone said to me alex go out there and live your life to the fullest i would say i did that I actually did that today. I, I did a great job of it, I think. That is so good for you. What did you do to live your life to the fullest? And I would say, well, I woke up at like six and I got to the coffee shop at about 7.15 and then I, I read for three hours. But Alex, when are you gonna go out and enjoy nature? When are you gonna go out and appreciate the earth itself? I appreciate nature all the time. Here's what I do. I get a can of Coke and then I pour out the Coke and then I fill it with vodka. And then I go to the Miami River and I stare at the river and I drink my can of vodka while staring at the river. Like those answers would not be considered satisfactory. And indeed, whenever you go on Instagram and if you search like lust for life, fucking live life to the fullest, it's all adventurous things. Not only things that cost money, but things that like require lots of planning. They require you to like disrupt your schedule. It's always about like inner tubing or, or hem hanging from some weird haunted swing that you found in the forest. Lately, as I've been working on a long piece of fiction, I've been, I've been writing it by hand. And after a couple of hours, my hand goes numb or, or, or it gets really, really cold. And so I do some exercises and I sort of work some feeling back into my hand. And then for the rest of the day, I'll make a fist, I'll make a really tight fist with the aching hand, and then I spread my fingers out. And then I make a fist and then I spread it out. And I'm making note all day long of when my hand is not hurting. And when it's not hurting, I think, it's cool, my hand doesn't hurt right now. It's this small but consistent uptick in my mood, even though nothing is different. But I guess that is the point. Nothing is different. Nothing has decayed. Nothing has fallen apart. It seems like the laziest sort of new age, vapid, influencer-style rhetoric to just encourage gratitude without defining what it is. And, and I can't, so I can't define it for anyone else, but I think that for me, I pursue it unconsciously by taking pretty careful account of horrible things going on in the world. Reading news and history, watching horror movies, I think, I think this is a factor in my horror movie obsession as well. By immersing myself again and again, in very detailed narratives of horrible things that have happened in the world, I think that what I'm unconsciously chasing is the small grateful high that I get whenever I'm able to finally like close the book or turn off the TV. And then suddenly with that little maneuver, I'm out of it. I'm removed from the horror of that world. And this is kind of far afield of what we were discussing, but I think that's part of what I like so much about the morbid and upsetting media in which 
I'm so constantly immersed. And whenever I always bring it up whenever I'm with friends and they're like, why do you read this shit? Why are you telling me all these little fucking, all this trivia about 9-11 or some mass shooting or something? And I think it's that by dunking my head into it and then stepping out of whatever medium is presenting that information to me, I get to experience again and again the liberation from pain. And until the inevitable comes and, and, and my situation does change, I'll keep reading those upsetting things, keep biting into overstuffed pizzas and hoping for the best. I'll keep ringing from the most mundane afternoon, at least little tiny flashes of awareness about the comfort of my own situation. And I'll drink it up one drop at a time. I suppose that you're still hungry. Thank you.